looking uh, for some time on the subject of developing your personal Bible study. We uh, kind of took a few weeks there and looked at some figures of speech in the Bible and how that understanding the figures of speech help us to understand how to interpret the Word of God. We looked at some word studies. We've looked at quite a few things. And so continuing to go down that thought of developing uh, your personal Bible study, tonight I wanted to look at the thought uh, of the timeline of the Bible, the timeline of the Bible. The verse of Scripture that we are uh, using as our jumping point for this study is 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, uh, for these folks that, Lord, come out and, Lord, we can uh, bond together, Lord, uh, by sharing our needs with one another, by praying for one another, uh, Lord, by learning from your word together. Lord, I thank you for each one of them. Uh, Lord, as we shared the request, Lord, there are many needs. And, uh, Father, Lord, but it also they are many praises. And Father, I thank you that you are a God that answers prayer. You are a God that shows yourself capable. Uh, Lord, and we know that if we bring our needs to you in prayer, Lord, you will hear and answer our prayers. Father, now as we uh, study your word this evening, I pray, dear Lord, that you will help us to grasp what is being taught. And Father, Lord, that it will give us an understanding of your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Uh, whenever you think of the timeline of the Bible, uh, it's uh, very important that we understand uh, just how big this book is. I had a picture that I wanted to use. I just couldn't get it to look right on the screen. Uh, but it was a picture of, a, of an enormous Bible and a guy standing beside of it. And he was dwarfed by the Bible. And it was illustrating uh, just how big this book is. And boy, I'm telling you, with modern and things like that. Uh, we have packed them down. There's even a Bible you can buy uh, that you can carry on your keychain. It's an entire Bible. I'm not sure how you read it, but it's an entire Bible you can carry on your keychain. And we've, with modern printing and modern typeset, we've been able to just squeeze it down into just a small volume. Uh, I remember at uh, Pensacola Christian College, they have a library of the Bible and they have an early Bible there. And it is the, the same Bible that we have, uh, uh, but it's uh, several volumes. It takes up a whole shelf. It's several volumes uh, uh, because of the printing and the paper and these things, they weren't able to condense it. And so because the Bible has been condensed uh, into a single volume, it's personal sized, easy to handle. A lot of times we forget just how big this book is. And whenever you forget how big the book is, uh, you forget how much time it covers. Uh, and the timeline of the Bible helps us to understand what happened when, what took place when, who was alive, uh, and, and how these things uh, come together. When it, Some folks who are not familiar uh, with the Scripture consider people to be contemporaries who actually lived centuries apart. Uh, Brother Luke uh, Fisher and I were at the uh, Gideon dinner. So several of y'all were there, but Luke Fisher and I were talking at the Gideon dinner uh, yesterday evening, and he was talking about a church uh, that he uh, knows of that was planted in the 1700s. And we were talking about, wow, that was a long time ago. But that was only about 300 years ago. And whenever you take that and put it into a Bible timeline, uh, there are many times people that we will talk about. I'll preach about one person this Sunday and someone else next Sunday who lived 
500 to 1,000 to 1,500 years apart, yet they're all included in the Bible. And so understanding the timeline of the Bible helps us to know who lived uh, when and who were contemporaries, who lived at the same time. And it helps us to make sense of what they said and why they said it. Um, Many of us, though, who have been students of the Word of God for most of our life uh, do recognize the different time periods. We understand Genesis, Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, we understand these time periods, uh, uh, but sometimes we fail to grasp just how large those time periods were. We fail to grasp how many... Uh, different governments existed, how many different dynasties rose and fall and fell in these time periods. And so understanding the timeline of the Bible helps us to understand and bring clarity to many portions of the Word of God. Uh, whenever you look at Bible timelines, they can range from very simple. I have an illustration here of the seven seas uh, from Answers in Genesis. I have that there on the screen. Uh, that's the seven seas. Answers in Genesis puts this out. This is probably one of the simplest, clearest timelines of the Bible you'll ever see. Uh, they use all seas, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, the cross, and the consummation. Seven seas takes you from Genesis to Revelation. Very simple timeline of the Bible. Gives you an overview of how the Bible times ties together. But there are also timelines that are very complex. I have another picture here for you. Uh, don't try to read it. I can't read it. Uh, but this is a very complex uh, timeline. You can purchase this and put it on the wall of your house. Uh, it's a great big timeline. It covers everything ever happened at all and ties all the dynasties, all the governments, everything all together. And so we can see that the Bible can be explained in very simple terms, but although it can be explained simply does not mean that there's not a lot of stuff there. It can also, if we include every detail, can become very complex. And so what I want to do this evening is I want to take a few minutes and I want to look at a, a timeline that is simple and a timeline that gives us a little more detail than the seven C's, but definitely not as much as this. But before we do, I have another chart here that I want you to see. And it shows us how that the Bible is tied together from Genesis to Revelation. Now the Bible covers a time period of a little over 4,000 years, about 4,095 years. If you take the time period from Genesis to Revelation, a little over 4,000 years. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written by over four, around 40 different authors who lived on three different continents. Uh, this book is a, a miracle in and of itself that it even exists with that much variety. It's a miracle that it makes sense at all. But on this next chart... Go ahead and pop that up our Brother Hot Rod. This shows 63,779 cross-references in the Bible between Genesis and Revelation. When you look at this uh, chart right here, this, is, this thing just blows my mind. It's probably the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in that it allows me to visualize you know, I can say it that it's Bible's cross-reference. I can say it's 63,000 times. But to look at this picture, it allows me to visualize how the Bible is woven together. When you look at the graph, you say, what does all this mean? Well, cross-reference is when one Scripture passage references another Scripture passage. <clears throat> 
here on this picture, uh, we see that these over 63,000 references tie the Bible together from beginning to end uh, throughout every page. The white bars along the bottom represent each Bible chapter from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and of course shows the different lengths of the chapters there. And then the color of the lines show the references distance from one to the other. What you're looking at there is a feat that no human author could ever accomplish. If one human author sat down and wrote a book on his own, he could never accomplish this type of a accomplishment. No way that it would ever happen. But then to think that this covers over 4,000 years. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written by 40 different guys who weren't contemporaries. It was written on three different continents, and yet it all ties together. It makes 100% complete sense. It is a message from beginning to end of redemption. I believe this graph is a visual testimony to the divine inspiration of the Word of God. Whenever we understand that the Bible is linked together from beginning to end with one continual message, we see why a basic timeline uh, helps us follow the flow of the Scripture as we read through the Word of God. So this evening, uh, you see there on your worksheet, I've prepared a simple timeline uh, that I hope will provide you with a reference, uh, a resource that you can reference as you read through the Word of God. Uh, and so as we go through the lesson, I'll be giving you the dates, and you can fill in the dates on your timeline. You say, well, Pastor John, how do you come up with this timeline? Well, I've got uh, just a few of the books here that I used uh, in my study to prepare this timeline. And so we've uh, got uh, Erdman's Handbook to the Bible, Nelson's Complete Book of Bible Maps and Charts, uh, uh, Annals of the World by James Usher, uh, and then also Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, looking at what all these men have to say, and then several other resources uh, that we've looked into to help compile this timeline that we'll be looking at this evening. And we'll be trying to move through this quickly. Uh, you will see as we go through this that there is, we could get stuck a lot of places on this timeline. And so we're going to try to just move through this quickly and give you this timeline that you can take home and use as a reference as you study the Word of God. <coughs> Excuse me just a moment. Alrighty. The first date that we fill in uh, is, of course, the beginning. Well, better place to start than at the beginning. And so the first date that we fill in uh, is uh, somewhere around 4,000 B.C., 4,000 years before Christ is uh, what we would take that to mean. And so the Bible does not tell us uh, that it was written in 4,000. B.C., but we can take and follow the chronological ages and dates given in the Word of God, and we can backtrace, and we can come up with this date of around 4,000 B.C. This uh, Annals of the World by James Usher. James Usher uh, was a, a theologian that put a tremendous amount of work uh, into tracing the chronological uh, dates in the Bible, taking the ages of men this beget this man and this is their ages. He traced it all, put it together and Mr. Usher says uh, that by his work and the work that he did, uh, he puts the beginning at 4004 
B.C. And uh, matter of fact, uh, Mr. Usher's work is such that this has pretty much been the standard that uh, theologians have went by for centuries uh, based on Mr. Usher's work. I do appreciate Miss Coffey. I don't think Miss Coffey's here. Miss Coffey actually gave me this copy of, of James Usher's works. And uh, boy, I'm telling you what, a lot of information there in that. But uh, so he places the creation at around 4,000 B.C., Approximately 1,656 years later. <clears throat> now, you remember when we're reading Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter number 1 is the creation, and Genesis chapter number 11 is the, is the, the uh, entire Bible, and so the, all this happens very quick. But we see that 1,656 years after creation, we come to the judgment of a worldwide flood, and this took place at approximately... 2344 B.C. 2344 B.C. is when the flood took place. Now there's a tremendous amount of uh, chronology uh, between uh, creation and the flood concerning the longevity of people then. We know that people lived uh, uh, upwards of 900 years between Adam and the flood. And whenever you look at that, we find out how life's overlap. Sometimes people will say, how can we know that these stories are accurate? I mean, they were passed down and passed down over all these thousands of years. Well, if the flood took place 1,600 years uh, after creation, uh, Adam uh, lived for almost a thousand of those years. And so uh, we look and see that these people were contemporaries. It was very easy uh, for these stories to be passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And so we come here uh, to 1,656 years later, we come to the worldwide flood at uh, 2344 B.C. So the flood happened. The earth was destroyed. Uh, Noah and his family survived. Noah and his family began to repopulate the earth. Uh, and of course, we, we know that in studies we've done in the past when we were going through the book of Genesis that the earth was able to repopulate very quickly. And about 178 years after the flood, 178 years after Noah and his family left the ark and they began to repopulate, about 178 years later, we come to the beginning of God's redemptive plan. You remember in Genesis, God promised that there would be a redeemer. We know that mankind turned their back on God. They went away from God. They, they, they rebelled against God to the place that God extended mercy for 120 years, offering them a way to come back to Him. They rejected Him over and and over and over again to the point that he had no other recourse but to send judgment. He sent judgment. He saved Noah and his family. The earth is repopulated, and God is keeping his promise. He is keeping his promise. In the year 2166 B.C., Abraham is born. God is keeping his promise. 178 years after the flood, Abraham is born. Abraham is the beginning of the Jewish family. He is the man that God is going to call out from Ur of the Chaldees. He is the man that God is going to make a covenant with. He is the man that the Messiah is going to come through his line. We look at this and we see that after the birth of Abraham, about 640 years pass after the birth of Abraham. And during this time, we're introduced, of course, to Abraham. We're introduced to his son, the promised seed, Isaac. 
we're introduced to Isaac's son, Jacob. And we see the what we know as the Hebrew fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then to Jacob is born 12 sons. And of course, the Joseph comes along and he's the dreamer and he tells his brethren of the dreams he's having. They sell him into slavery thinking that they're doing him evil. God takes this opportunity, puts Joseph in a place of leadership uh, and Joseph is able to preserve uh, the land of Egypt and in doing so he's able to preserve uh, uh, the land of Canaan and many other people and God has put Joseph in a powerful place and of course the famine affects the land of Canaan. Jacob and the remainder of the family, they need food. They come to Egypt looking for food and that is Joseph who God has preserved. God has put it all together and through this famine, Jacob and his family, the Bible says about 70 souls, Jacob, his sons and their families, they come to Egypt. Here they come. They come to Egypt. Joseph uh, talks to Pharaoh. They give them the land of Goshen where they can raise their cattle. And they, they take up and begin inhabiting there. They begin living there. And, and they begin to multiply. And they begin to, to grow. And, and so we see here uh, that they migrate to Egypt. And they, there they grow into a mighty nation. But in process of time, Joseph passes away. After Joseph's death, a new Pharaoh comes along and he sees the Israelites as a threat and an opportunity. He sees that because they've grown now to several hundred thousand people, they could be a threat to his dynasty, but there's also an opportunity of getting free labor. And so he enslaves the Israelites and he begins to put them to work to do the many things there in Israel and begins to enslave them. And because of the slavery, the Israelites pray to God for deliverance. They're like, we need delivered. We need out of Egypt. We need, we need God to work a miracle and get us out from under this slavery of this Pharaoh. And so they pray and God sends a, a deliverer. He sends this deliverance through Moses uh, who was born about 1526 B.C. Uh, so we see here that Moses is born around 1526 B.C. And Moses is the man through whom God will deliver the children of Israel from the Egyptians. Now, of course, Moses is 80 years old before God uses him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, Moses had to go through some training. He had to go through the wilderness school and had to learn some things that God needed to teach him so he would be equipped to do what God wanted him to do. You know what? We need to be always ready to serve God, but we need to always be patient with God's plan. And Moses needed some training before he would be equipped to do what God needed him to do. Moses did try to jump the gun. Moses tried to do it on his own. He, he killed an Egyptian. He was, he was trying to get ahead of God. And God said, no, no, Moses, not time yet. But anyway, we see here in 1506 or 1526, uh, Moses was born. And then we have a time period there. You see from 1526 to 1406 is the time period that we have there on your timeline. Uh, this includes Moses coming to age, uh, being called of God. Uh, this time period includes the exodus out of the land of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, all this is included. And then finally, the entry 
into the promised land. So this mark on your timeline, we've named it deliverance. God delivered them out of Egypt, and although it took some time, He brought them into the promised land. Now, there's many, many songs that's been preached about, or songs that's been preached, songs that's been sung. I've heard some preachers to preach some songs, but anyway, uh, there's some songs that's been sung about uh, Canaan land and living in Canaan, and, and many times Canaan land is used as a picture of victorious Christian life, and I'm not saying that that's done in error, but it kind of creates a picture in our mind that everything was good once they got to the promised land. Every, everything was all right. This was the end of the story. They lived happily ever after. But if you're reading the Word of God, you'll find out that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, once they got to the promised land, Joshua passed away. If you remember uh, Sunday, I read these verses uh, at the beginning of the service. After Joshua passed away, one generation later, they forgot the Lord. They forgot the Lord. And we enter into a time of chaos. We enter into a time of total chaos. We find that entering into the promised land marked the beginning of 350 plus years of nothing but turmoil and chaos for the Israelites. The Bible tells us in the book of Judges, which covers this time period, that in those days there was no king in the land, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I'm telling you, when you read the book of Judges, you will read some things that will make you wonder. You're like, how in the world? What in the world? How did God allow this to happen? Well, the problem was every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. If you ever want to read a book of the Bible that will help you understand what's going on in our day, read the book of Judges. Because we look at what's going on in our day and the things people are doing and the choices they're making, the agenda that they are pushing, and we're like, how can God let this go on? The problem is every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Israel entered into a time of chaos. It went from 1406 to about 1052 B.C. Uh, this, this time was a time of that uh, holiness, morality, and just common human decency went out the window. Why did this happen? Because everyone was doing two things. They were seeking to gratify the lust of their flesh, their own self. So they were trying to gratify what they wanted and what they desired. And at the same time, they were trying to govern others without a foundation of rules. Now I'm going to run off track here just for a minute. I think we got time for this. I'm going to run off track just for a minute. This land in which we live, whether folks want to admit it or not, was founded on the principles of of the Word of God. There was a foundation that we built the principles of this nation on. And we said, this is the foundation by which we will govern our land. And there is a movement now that says, this is no longer relevant, this no longer matters, uh, this no longer applies. And this movement is not just in the ungodly. This movement is sweeping our churches like crazy. This book no longer matters. It's no longer relevant. It's a, it's a spiritual picture. It's not a practical application and on and on. We hear people go about this book. What they are doing is they're removing the foundation. And whenever you do not have a solid base that you can come back to in regards to how you're going to govern people, you have, you have no code 
of conduct. You have nothing to govern by. And you end up with a nation that is gone crazy. You know what? Many times we'll talk about the world. Well, the world's doing this and the world's doing that. But you know what? Whenever you look at that, you will find that in that blanket application that we're making, there is this group is against this group and this group's against this group and this group's against this group. And all of these groups are all fighting for different things. And all of them are fighting against God. The problem is they've left the foundation. You see, this is what Israel did. Israel left the law of God. They forgot the Lord. They left the law of God, walked away from it, and began to live the way that they wanted to live. And we see that because of that, there was no holiness, there was no morality, there was no decency. They were seeking to satisfy the lust of their flesh. They were governing according to their own reasoning rather than on the foundation of God's law. In 1052 B.C., God gave Israel Saul as their first king. Israel said to Samuel, we want a king. Samuel said, you don't need a king. What you need to do is obey the law of God. You don't need a king. You, need to, you have a king. God is your king. Obey the word of God. That's all you have to do. They said, no, no. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. You see... Having the timeline helps us understand that they already had the law of Moses. They already had the, the books of the law. They already had this that they could go by. God said, you don't need a king, you need to obey my law. They said, no, we want a king, we want a king. And so God in 1052 B.C. gave Israel Saul as their first king. And this marked the beginning of what I have there on your timesheet as the beginning of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom uh, existed for 120 years. Uh, it covered the reign of Saul, uh, the reign of David, the reign of Solomon. Uh, each of these men reigned for about 40 years, uh, making a, a total of 120 years of a, the United Kingdom of Israel. But in 931 B.C., Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, took the throne. And because of his arrogance... Because of his arrogance, he wouldn't listen to wisdom. The kingdom was divided into two parts, which are described in the word of God as Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom. So now we have a divided kingdom. And whenever you look in the books of Kings, in the book of Chronicles, uh, you will see these kings uh, were in the, in the north, these kings were in the south, Israel and Judah. The divided kingdom continued uh, until 722 B.C. Uh, when the northern kingdom fell to the nation of Assyria and was taken into bondage. The southern kingdom of Judah continued another hundred years and then they fell to the nation of Babylon and were taken captive. After Judah had been in captivity for 70 years, God began the process home to their homeland. And so you see there from 722 to 445 B.C., the exile and the restoration. After the restoration, God fell silent. And for 400 years, there was no word from God. Everything was in place, and now we're just waiting for the Messiah. They continued to look. They continued to wait during this time. The, 
the Jews began to overthink the law of God. They began to add to the law of God. They began to complicate the law of God to the point that they were no longer even followers of God, but they were followers of man-made traditions. And we see in the ministry of Christ how that he combated, how the Pharisees had so distorted the law of God for 400 years. They basically wrote their own law and began to follow what they had written more than what God had told them to follow. We have 400 silent years, but then the day they had all been waiting for came. And according to actual physical calendars, we know that B.C. stands for before Christ, A.D. after death is how we refer to those, but if you look at the actual physical calendar, most agree that Christ was born between 4 and 6 B.C. Uh, is when Christ would have been born. So there on your calendar we have 5 B.C. And then he lived on earth uh, for approximately 33 years. Now, uh, we often say that he lived 33 years very uh, dogmatically. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how old Christ was when he died. Uh, the Bible does tell us that he was about 30 years old when he began his earthly ministry. And when we read through the life of Christ, uh, we find that he attended at least three Passovers. Uh, which would have been about three years, and that's where we come up with the number uh, 33. Uh, most folks agree that he definitely uh, was on the cross uh, before 40, most likely between 33 and 36 years old. These are dates that we don't know exactly. Uh, knowing that the Bible does say he started his ministry at about 30 years old, he did attend three Passovers, makes it very likely uh, that he was 33 years old when he passed away. Or when he gave it, when he died there on the cross, he was crucified there on the cross as the atonement for all of mankind. Everything that we've looked at up till now was getting everything set in place for this day when Christ would be born, when he would live, when he would do his public ministry then when he would give his life as a sacrifice for all of mankind, his blood would be shed so that he could wash away the sins of the whole world. After his ascension, we enter into the early church age. Uh, that includes the book of Acts through the book of Revelation. It's during this period that we learn of the Pentecost, uh, uh, the giving of the Great Commission, and we uh, receive the books that Paul wrote, the books that Peter wrote, the epistles, the establishing the doctrines of the church. And this uh, part that is recorded in the Word of God goes from about A.D. 34 to A.D. 95. And if you look at this, we have a time period starting at 4000 B.C. at the creation to 95 A.D., uh, whenever we come to the end of the book of Revelation, 4,095 years. Whenever we look at this timeline, there is so much more that can be included. You saw the, the comprehensive timeline that I showed you at the beginning. There is so much more that can be, be included. And there's so many ways that we could break each of these steps down and show you how all of these things tie together but hopefully, not to wear the subject out, but to just give you a practical guideline. So whenever you're reading through the Word of God, you can say, now when did this take place? You can look at this timeline and you can recognize, oh, this took place in this time period or this time period, and you can see how the entire Word of God fits together 
how it all makes sense, and how that it gives a continual story of the coming of our Redeemer. I know that I went through that quickly, but I hope that that was a blessing to you this evening. Now, just before we uh, go into our business meeting, we want to take a couple of minutes and close uh, in a season of prayer. And so we want to pray over these requests that we're given. So, Brother Corey, I'm going to see if you would to just open that prayer. And then, Brother Greg, if you would close that prayer. And then after you're finished praying, we'll take a moment and prepare for the business meeting.